We will employ an exciting, fast, explosive, and diverse offense combined with a physical, punishing, relentless, suffocating defense. Purdy rolls right, looking to throw. Benito gives chase, comes back left. Purdy still looking, sets up, balls loose, rolling around in Iowa State territory. Redmond picked it up. Redmond on the run. Redmond scores. Oh, mama. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host this evening, Kami Armarabian. I'm joined by Stephen Brown. Stephen, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. It's a pretty good night uh, with the Thunder getting the uh, the second overall pick. Um, I will it's a say, surprise. It's, a, it's a surprise. I'm 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 happy. Oh yeah, no, everyone knows I'm a Thunder hater. I hate Presty, but I was going into this thing thinking they were at the sixth pick, no matter what. Like that's just what that's, that's what's going to happen. That's what happens to OKC Thunder. Come in, get the second pick. I think things are looking up now. But, but yeah, see, that's here, a brighter outlook. The whole cynical outlook, because like I'm a cynicist as well, and it's like, look, now that things aren't as bad as I thought they were going to be, I'm a much happier person. Which like, like Presty's bad. You you put your like self you can't through be anguish. like second pick. Yeah. <laughs> put yourself I torture through, myself every day through all this anguish. Like this, uh gonna get the second pick, sixth pick, but then just to get the second pick is even better. And are also joined by and Seth. We've podcasted before, and I'm 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 pretty sure I have your last name right, and I I hope I don't say it wrong in the podcast. But we're joined also by Seth Oliveras. Did I say it right? Oh, you said it perfect, perfect, fantastic. How are you doing, man? Oh man, I'm doing really well. And actually, today, as of twelve, maybe fifteen, officially started spring break after uh, first year of grad school down so it's uh it was it was really stressful this last couple weeks but man it feels good i i feel you yeah i i also wrapped up for semester uh doctoral stuff like dude papers lots of papers i love i love papers but uh college athletes also love papers but they like the green ones it's not the white ones um so let's talk about those college athletes let's talk about the defense man uh brent venables one of the biggest, and actually, I was approached by a couple of people just the other day uh, talking about, like, in, of course, people that listen to the podcast know I'm a teacher. And I was approached by a couple of high school coaches that know, like, you know, like, we have a podcast and everything, and we're, that I'm a part of Crimson and Cream Machine and everything. And they're like, what do you think about the team realistically? Because you have your sunshine pumpers, you have your rose-colored glasses, Um what what is your realistic expectation for this team? And Seth, since you haven't been on the podcast for a long time, we've only podcasted once. I want to get your unfiltered take. What what is your ceiling and floor for this football team going into the fall? Oh yeah. So I guess just to start off record wise, I think the floor. I could I could see. I'm going to go seven and five, honestly. And I think mm. the homer in me wants to say eight and four as a, as a floor, but I'll say seven and five just because there are a lot of games that really honestly could be top toss ups depending on how certain units are developing over the, over the season. But as far as a ceiling goes, I do believe this team could win 10 games regular season. Like it's doable for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, I think if, if that happens, if they go 10 and two, I do see them, you know, um, 
playing for a little bit more uh, postseason wise. Steven, what do you think about that? Y'all raise the floor a little bit. I'll go with the uh, was the eight and four. Um, you know, I don't see a lot of teams in the Big Twelve at this point in time where they're just head and shoulders above Oklahoma, uh, both from you know a coaching standpoint as well as a talent standpoint. I mean, Texas is always going to have mm-hmm. a majority of that talent, but yeah. um, you look at teams like Iowa State's rebuilding, uh, Baylor's getting a little bit of a rebuild, something like that. So. Those are games where Oklahoma's had trouble um, just because those are veteran teams. Uh, those aren't veteran teams anymore. So I think eight and four is a pretty reasonable floor for them. And so, and, and, and so that's what I said. I, I said, I think, you know, maybe bottom out eight wins, possibility of seven, you know, the, that game in Nebraska is going to tell us a lot. Um, what I, what I came down to, I was like, the offense is easy to learn. This offense is not a difficult offense to learn. The route tree is not hard to learn. I mean, it, it's it's pretty simplistic in understanding it. It's getting your athletes out in space. It's like it's like it's like flipping it basically. The defense, from what I said to both of these people, was that it was the defensive learning growth. It was their learning curve. How can they go from looking at their wrist, knowing my one absolute fucking job for this one play? And then go to, all right, I need to be here or here or here, depending upon where this offensive player is moving, but also what the call already is, because the call could be like a several things in one thing. Like, like people don't realize Brent Venable's defense is so multiple that you get zone looks and you end up in man, you end up in man, you get zone looks and it, it, and you create like all this chaos by bringing more bodies than are necessary and like that's what causes all these turnovers and that's why he has the number one defense is because he's consistently done that but then after a while got really 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 high quality players to the fact that he didn't really have to blitz anymore it came to as a stunt stunts and twists on the line were enough and so what is keeping in seth i'm going to come back to you what is keeping oklahoma from their ceiling in your opinion like is it that learning growth on 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 that learning curve on defense or is it a combination of all of those things because there's a new coaching staff in place i think for me it's i'm, I'm looking more towards the defense i think i think there's going to be a really steep learning curve for uh, the defense especially up front um and i think while the, there are definitely the guys that can get it done uh, already on the team um, with so much that's changing on that side of the ball, or at least that we expect uh, to change um, on that side of the ball, there there might be some of those grumbles early in the season, midseason, where they might see some, some high-scoring games where the offense is really going to have to kind of carry the team for a bit, and fans are going to, you know, I can already anticipate fans wondering, like, well, you, we hired Venables, you know, to make this defense better, make this team tougher, and what are we doing getting in these shootouts? I, I can just see something like that happening. Um, so if, if this team's not going to reach its ceiling, I think it's be, it's going to be because there are going to be some games that the defense just kind of lets get away in the, you know, later, later in the games. If you tip drops 21 on Oklahoma, are the fans losing their minds? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't think it's going to take much only for the fans to lose their minds. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's just, I mean, from what I've seen over the last 
six years that I've been on you know, social media. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, same question. What's keeping the what's keeping the Sooners from their floor to their ceiling? Yeah, you have to look at the learning curve on defense. Um, you know, guys getting in the right position. You go back and look um, at the spring game. You kind of look at that nickel position. Uh, guys are, you know, one, two steps behind, um, you know, on their breaks, guys out of place. Uh, but at the same time, you have a lot of talent there and, and guys that have played a lot of football. So um, maybe that mitigates a little bit of that learning curve just from some experience from the standpoint of there. But uh, I think also you look at the quarterback position um, and just how far uh, Dylan Gabriel is going to take this team on offense because really the offense is going to be based on his arm. Like, I don't think it's overly complicated. It's not a Lincoln Riley offense and even Lincoln's offense wasn't that complicated. Um, but it's going to be up to him to kind of move the sticks. That's fair. That's fair. And then I, again, like this is something we all agree on. Like a lot of it is that learning curve on both really the offense. Like it's, it's easier to understand. And it's also wonderful to have Gabriel being an extension of Levy on the field since he was previously coached by him it's really just can he get the ball to the guys and also is the offensive line doing their job. Uh, but I think a lot of us are concerned, you know, you go from having simplistic defensive calls to um, who was it? Who I can't remember who they were talking to. I think it might've been uh, Kendall Dennis, maybe, maybe Woody Washington the other day um, or DJ Graham. I don't know. One of the defensive backs, they were asking, him about the defense and he was like we keep on getting five to six new plays every single week like this is not something that they're used to and that they're having to learn and so when the spring game was happening venables was on the freaking field of the mic telling the defense where to be like that's how steep this this learning curve is for the defense that that's going to be so significant going into the season and getting to that Texas game. And that's why I'm so interested in seeing that Nebraska game. And so going on to the defense, some starters, I think we could probably agree on, you know, Jalen Redmond, Jeffrey Johnson, probably some Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs. Are those your front four? Say those again. So edge to edge, let's go Ethan Downs, uh, Jeff Johnson, um, Redmond, and uh, Grimes. That sounds about right. I think uh, Jordan Kelly probably works his way in there at some point. I think they're going to rotate quite a bit um, in the middle, but uh, those two ends sound right with uh, with Stripling kind of maybe interchanging yeah, with, yeah. Uh, with Grimes a little bit. Yeah, I was, I was, I was thinking the same thing. I think – in you mentioned stripling. That's where I was going to go um, to just add on to that. But yeah, that, that sounds like a pretty solid safe bet for the starting line. And that's the thing that that's the thing that's really interesting about Venables is, and I mentioned this on previous podcast, of course, he's not, he, he's going to tailor his defense to what personnel he has, but also what offensive personnel is also in the league. So obviously when you're at Clemson, they just didn't have the bodies. He had, he knew he had three defensive linemen that he could depend on. So he went to John Haycock and was like, hey, teach me this 335, this umbrella defense that gives Lincoln Riley so much trouble. And then so he's not averse to bringing that rush edge up to the, uh, and not just in having a traditional 4-3 that everybody immediately gets in their mind or a 4-2-5. Um, the, the, the most, it's not the most interesting, I guess, because that's kind of really defensive backs, like really, really where you, where are you putting people? 
um, with the new transfers in mind. Linebackers is the, I've seen stuff from Deshaun White and Danny Stutzman to David Igwebu to Stutzman. Uh, wh- where are you guys at on linebackers from the Will and the Mike? Because I've seen so many different ways in which a first of all how they're how they were used in spring and practice but also b what like i've seen so many iterations of what the linebackers starting to like starting to if they are running a four two five what that would look like acknowledging like you like you just said having stripling maybe probably be at that rush edge position well where would you put the will who who's playing at the will who's playing at the mic yeah, I think the mic. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, you th- you'd think Stutzman would slide over there. I didn't, I didn't really see him play the mic too much. Um, and maybe that's just because uh, Deshaun White is just playing that much better. I mean, I've never been a huge Deshaun White believer, but uh, in the spring game, he definitely looked like a new player. Um, so I think they probably stick with that experience there while Danny Stutzman kind of gets his, uh, you know, his brain wrapped around a new system, but he's also pretty young. And Deshaun White plays. Uh, he's played a lot of football, so I would leave with those two on a four-two-five. What about you, Seth? Yeah, um, I agree about Deshaun White. I think it looks it looks like he's kind of maybe taking that next step, um, even if it's just a half step forward. That's that's going to be good for him at the weak side. Um, uh, but Mike, I I really I'm really high on Stutzman. Um, I think we might see kind of a rotation between him and Uwebu even though I think Stutzman should be the guy. I think he will end up uh, taking it for himself and kind of really Mm -hmm. claiming it uh, probably before September's over, honestly. Um, So I I, I really think uh, uh, we'll see Danny kind of really shine in in that Mike position. Do do you think that OU sees Jaron Kanick in more than four games this year, Seth? That's a good question. Honestly, Honestly, I kind of hope so because I just I from everything I'm reading about him and hearing about him, it just sounds like he's such a freak, and I want to see him get as much get as many reps in his first season of college, um, even if it's mostly on special teams. But like, I mean, I just I would love it if he has an opportunity to get in as many games as possible. If it if if we're in November and he's only played two or three games still, then I think at that point you probably just go ahead and just keep it at four uh, mm-hmm. max, but if he's, you know, he comes out against Kent State, uh, Kent State, and uh, uh, is is the next game, is second week Nebraska. Who's this game? Or, or, or who? No, it's UTEP, and then yeah, then Nebraska. Yeah. And then okay, so uh, yeah, but if he if if through those th- first three games, if he's getting appearances and he's looking like you know he's, he's looking like he's kind of been billed as, I say just keep keep rolling him out there, um, any opportunities that he can get because. I think a guy like him could probably mature really quickly just because he's kind of coming in. So I think ahead of where uh, most, most guys at that, that spot would be. Yeah. And, and like, and the stuff I've seen on him is just incredible. Even, even in like camp video, the dude, even if like there, there was one specific play on a drill really that he slipped and he was still able to get his feet underneath them in the recovery time and in an agility quick burst speed catch right back up with the running back it was just that that's something that oklahoma linebackers haven't had on the edge for a minute and that could be really special 
Stephen, the question I asked was, do you see the possibility of Jaron Canick playing more than four games and not taking a redshirt? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, he's obviously young, doesn't have a lot of experience in the system. Not a lot of players do at this point, but um, physically, I mean, you look at him, I think, uh, was it Broyles playing the other nickel on the, yeah. the screen game? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're going to take Canick every time. I mean, Broyles is great kid, great leader, um, but Canick just gives you something else on the field. He's just got some juice to him. Um, he's going to make some mistakes, and you're going to have to live with that, but um, I think if you're looking for the most upside, you get can it going early and often. Yeah. It's just really interesting because he was such a dynamic playmaker. And I imagine like, of course the Clemson fans were pissed and I imagine Dabo was obviously like pissed, but like in a Southern Baptist way, I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> um, and so I guess my, my, my last question about this is, and I'll come to you first, Steven is because Brent Venables does not have the type of bodies that he on the defensive line that he's used to having at Clemson, especially his last however many years they put all these people in the draft. Do you think Brent is going to have to blitz more or roof? If you want to say that, if you want to say roof is the actual defensive coordinator, do you think they actually have to blitz more because they lack that presence up front with just getting pressure with four guys? I don't think that's the reason. I do think they'll blitz more, and I think that's just because that's going to be the strength of this defense. And also, um, you know, we saw with Alex Grinch's defense, when they started blitzing, they just dominated games up front. Um, You look at this personnel, you know, this year, not as dynamic, not as explosive, but you have some bodies there that can give um, offensive lines, especially in the Big 12, a lot of trouble. So I think they'll blitz, but I think they'll do it because that's going to be the strength um, of their defense, but the weakness of other offenses. Seth, same question. Yeah, I think we're going to see, and it's it's going to look on the field, it's going to look like OU's blitzing a lot more just because they, versus last year and really uh, under Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch and uh, such, uh, the, the comparison is going to be night and day, I feel like, as far as blitzing goes. We're going to see a lot more blitzes um, just um, on, you know, kind of irregular downs and things like that and not just – um, the, the typical uh, passing down and third down kind of a deal. Like I think we're going to see a lot more uh, kind of nuanced looks at that. So yeah, compared to what we've been seeing over the last few years, we'll be a lot more uh, blitzes, but as far as what it could look like once Brent, Brent Venables gets those kinds of bodies up front and in the trenches, like you talked about, um, it'll be interesting because if he indeed gets those kinds of guys, um, which he's already, they're already working on that, uh, yeah, it's if those guys are doing what they were doing at Clemson, yeah, really wouldn't need to blitz as much. So it'll be interesting to look uh, look back on um, in a few years from now. I remember Brent Venable's defense being characterized as you have to just like keep the chaos at bay just enough <laughs> for the quarterback to give him time. And so that's what I expect them to do because, I mean, like in order for Woody Washington and all those dudes in the back end to be successful – they're going to need some guys to get pressure up front. And I'm a little bit worried about Ethan Downs being a little bit undersized as, as, a, as a defensive end. I don't know how much muscle he's actually packed on this, this spring or summer, uh, but I imagine they want to add more this summer. So that's one of my little, a little bit of my concerns is just being a little bit small on the edges on, on that, but in the middle, I'm not really that worried. But let's talk a little bit recruiting. Uh, we haven't we haven't uh, really touched on this a little bit from the portal. First of all, 
uh, 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 several names and several, uh, one of them really special, a special name that will hold near and dear to my heart. Um, but we'll, we'll just, let's just out him. Um, so when I saw general booty's name, I immediately thought of John David booty, uh, despite the fact that it was, where can I get a booty? OU booty Jersey right now. I need that Jersey. I don't know what number it would be. Um, but I just need a booty Jersey, but I wondered if he was like, I was like, Hey, that reminds me of John David booty. And it turns out like, I guess it's his nephew. So that kind of fits along that path. But so well, let's, let's, let's talk about it. Uh, Seth, what was your reaction when it came out that OU had a committed Juco quarterback named uh, general booty? Yeah. Well, I remember it, it reminded me that I had heard of this guy, I guess, I don't know, it was probably his junior or senior year of high school um, just because of his name. And people were talking about, oh, there's this recruit out there named General Booty. And so, and I totally forgot about him. I guess I didn't really realize what he had done with his uh, career thus far. So when I saw that (laughs) it was official that OU was going to add General Booty to its QB room, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny. It's definitely like, you know, it's kind of like, a a gag almost, but then, you know, just looking at, uh, you know, I I watched one of his highlight uh, tapes and seeing what some of his teammates and stuff were talking about and saying about him and, and everything, real positive things. Like it it seems like he's definitely uh, uh, an interesting addition to the, to the room. And really, you know, this is also coming, we're going to get to it, I'm sure, but uh, you know, this room is, is starting to fill up a lot more than we're kind of used to. And Mm -hmm. so, that's another part of it that was interesting to me is that we're adding this guy in a room that's getting kind of crowded, not, not in a bad way either, but um, I'm kind of just trying to figure out where, uh, what the the philosophy, I guess, behind it is. And I, I think it's interesting because we're seeing Oklahoma use the Juco. I mean, I mean, the transfer portal has really, really, really messed things up as far as, what recruiting cycles look like for juco kids even for high school kids because you know you can go get a juco guy right out of the portal or uh, not a juco guy but you can go get a guy get a guy right out of the portal after his freshman season if he's not happy and so it's been really kind of interesting to see teams navigate that so i was very surprised to see a juco guy pop up instead of a, a transfer despite oklahoma getting another transfer and so steven i know this was a thing i mean like I know like, so like JJ Hester from Mizzou six foot four has like three years less of left of eligibility. He's a guy that totally fits Jeff Levy's offense. He's from Booker T. Uh, you love to see OU actually finally going back and getting in good ties with Booker T, uh, especially with Gentry Williams also coming in and in, uh, in the summer, but looking at the wide receiver room, if Oklahoma only has a certain amount of scholarships to give out, in your opinion, why would Oklahoma? And of course, I'm just operating. I'm not obviously. I'm obviously not Brent Minables. Why would you think Oklahoma would prioritize another quarterback after getting Davis Bevel over over somebody like uh, Bunkley from Arizona State that would probably become your immediately immediate two wide receiver? 
Yeah, I think it's an interesting question for sure. Um, and, you know, I'm not I'm not inside uh, Brent Venable's head or anything, but you look at the quarterback room and just kind of what we saw depth-wise um, during the spring game, there's, there's quite a bit of drop-off between Dylan Gabriel and, and Nick Evers and um, – is it, is it Dave, who's it Ben Davis or something like that? Yeah, Ben so, Davis. Uh, that's an immediate concern because if Gabriel goes down, your season is probably going down with him. Um, you know, they add Beville, um, and maybe he's not going to be enough. So, uh, General Booty's a guy that uh, I think I don't think a lot of people love at the moment, but his tape does. He just shows some flashes. Um, great ball placement, um, throwing motions a little bit weird, but. He's a guy that, you know, has a little bit of moxie to him here and there. So I can see them wanting to prioritize some guy that could be a more of a safety net than, than a guy like Bunkley, who is going to join a wide receiver room who doesn't have a lot of upside or a lot of talent, a lot of proven talent. Um, but they have some, some possibilities there with like Farouk, uh, Theo Weiss is coming back, Drake Stoops. So there's some pieces there that you like uh, that you might not love, but, Behind da- or behind Gabriel, there's a lot of pieces you just don't love at the moment. Yeah, and and looking at Pitt, like I mean, they've lost like all their quarterbacks this offseason uh, to tra- to transfer or to the draft. And uh, OU ends up with Davis Bevel. He, he's he's six foot six. He actually played in a bowl game against Michigan State, where Pickett opted out. Went like fourteen and nineteen. Had a couple touchdown passes. Looked like a competent quarterback, somewhat. I mean, like so, like that makes you feel a little bit happier inside, knowing that he's a guy uh, that you can, you know, just kind of throw in there and like basically just hand the ball off or make an out route if you needed to. Or in this offense, it's very QB friendly. I mean. Are you throwing a go route? Are you throwing a bubble screen? Are you throwing a tunnel screen? Or are you just handing it off? I mean, that's realistically what this offense kind of is. The route tree is very simplistic. And so what do you guys, what's, what's your take? Uh, and Steven, I'm going to come back to you. What's your take on Davis Bevel? I haven't watched a ton of Davis Bevel. Obviously, the first thing that stands out is he's a 6'6 quarterback, which I don't think Oklahoma's had since, what, Blake Bell-ish? Yeah, somewhere he's, there, he's so. big. He's a guy that uh, is going to stand out quite a bit in the QB room. And if he ever gets in a game, he's not going to look like Kyler. He's not going to look like Baker. He is going to be a stand tall in the pocket passer um, that, you know, he's made some throws. He's not bad, but, um, you know, you kind of look that you might have a limited, little bit of a limited upside. So maybe with him in the game, you do a lot of uh, a lot more run with maybe some quick strikes over the middle. And Seth, you alluded to this earlier. Yeah, uh, this this quarterback room, they're, they they are seven. I think seven dudes deep, right? Like they have Gabriel, Bevel, Bowens, Booty, Evers, Rucker, Davis, and they have Arnold committed. So they have eight guys right now, and you have Gabriel with still like a few years of eligibility remaining. Uh, of course. I think Rucker's going to end up obviously graduating. Maybe, I don't know, it might be like a Brian Mead guy that stays there for about 10 years. <laughs> but like this room is huge. Whereas during the Lincoln and Riley era, that room was relatively small, like four guys. And that was about it. You had your two scholarship guys, maybe three, but mostly two scholarship guys and a couple of walk ons, and one in which that would probably end up earning a scholarship. 
why do you think there's such a nine day difference between how Levy's going to operate that quarterback room in comparison to Lincoln Riley? That's a good question, especially because, you know, you, you mentioned that this offense is very QB friendly. Um, so I think, but I think that probably also plays into this kind of strategy of just filling up the room to the brim um, because, you know, you can get all these guys with all these different skill sets uh, and they could probably all run the offense at least to some degree, uh, you know, uh, effectively. And uh, just to the touch on, uh, Davis Bevel. I, I went back and watched uh, some of those, uh, some of his throws against what was it Michigan State in the bowl game, and it looked like a lot of his targets were to was it uh, Addison, the the Blitnikoff bit. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like I don't know if it was like a. I, I almost felt like I was watching um, uh, what's the Garrett Gilbert <laughs> against Alabama. All his throws were to Shipley. So it was like, yeah, it looked like he was flashing, but. Then again, he was thrown to a guy that will catch anything. So um, I'm, I'm the jury is still out for sure on pretty much everybody in that room for me, other than Gabriel. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like it, I, I'm really not too familiar with if this is like a very common thing with Lebby, um, as far as like what those QB, all his QB rooms have looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I imagine that if it is, uh, it's played well for him and that's why he's continuing to bring it you know bringing it here um and also just i think part of it is because there are no real proven guys at least from last year's team on this team so it's just kind of like well we're just gonna get as many not just bodies but you know guys that have done it or done some things and we're just gonna see what they can do and it's just gonna be kind of this wide open competition for two yeah, and Steve, and Steven, what's your take on that too? Like, for for example, because like I mean, like Lincoln Riley to me, he has he would have like four quarterbacks, and then he had he he added Bowens for like depth and just like emergency depth, right? Um, and to me, it's just like he expects he expected his his quarterbacks to be in the NFL draft by their redshirt sophomore year, by their third year on campus. And I don't think that maybe is the thought process behind Levy. Could that contribute to this this quarterback room being this big, or am I just thinking out too outside the box here? It might be a little bit outside the box. I think the thing with Lincoln, they were kind of continuing to learn that um, he liked his his quarterback room pretty structured. He wanted the hierarchy pretty. Uh, uh, there was a lot to think about because you had Baker. Obviously, the next guy up is Kyler. Next guy up is Spencer, or Jalen and Spencer. So, I don't think he liked a lot of question marks, or I don't think he could handle a lot of question marks or the drama that comes with it uh, with a with a real quarterback competition. Whereas with Levy and especially Venables, I think they're pretty pretty weathered. I don't think um, they let the drama really get to him too much. The drama got to the players, according to the players. So in the quarterback yeah. room from both Caleb and Spencer, if you're being honest, like they both spoke out about it, like how toxic it was. And, and you like, could see like, like immediately they just did not talk to each other. Like in spring games, oh, they fucking hated each um, other In summer workouts. They were never near each other. And that was just kind of something we always noticed. They hated each other. And it's like, it, like at first I thought it was just a, a competitive thing. And nah, especially once Caleb got that job, they 
hated each other. They they're like they there's so much resentment, and like that's why Lincoln's first text to, to Spencer Rattler was basically like you up right, and Spencer was like nah. I'm going the opposite direction. And then that's what it was like, and because like he felt some type of way about it because of the toxicity in the locker room, despite, you know, some of those players following him over to USC talking about toxicity within that. So whatever. Um, and a commitment has happened. Caleb Spencer, a guy that's been like, this guy hasn't been as long witted to commit to OU as Dylan Edwards has at running back that OU is basically just still waiting on to take his visits. Uh, which is going to happen in soon, pretty soon in June. And uh, he's a three-star guy. Not many people are talking about it, despite him having some impressive offers. Uh, just go look at his offer sheet. He's got some good offers, and he's going into his senior year. He's going to get more. He's six foot three, two hundred pounds. This is like, it, is this not like the perfect? cheetah position guy that brent venables is trying to put in this offense as, as a guy that's going to make a linebacker safety hybrid that kind of just roams around the defense yeah i mean you kind of just nailed it on the head right there i mean caleb spencer 6'3 200 pounds a guy that can really move a guy that can play pretty physical um if we're being honest so he kind of fits that i don't want to say isaiah simmons because isaiah simmons was a very special player but uh, he fits that role as a guy that can kind of be that hybrid safety, hybrid linebacker, um, kind of like a utility tool guy for for Brent Venables. And, and Seth, to, to that to that point, what I think is intriguing, and tell me tell me what you think about this, because everybody always su- suggests it's always about stars, and we can look at the NFL draft and we can see, yes, it is about stars. The people that are getting drafted are the ones that usually have the four stars and five stars by their names. But what Clemson has done, because Clemson, when they were winning national titles, their blue chip ratio was the exact same or very, very near what Oklahoma's was, which was far down from what Alabama's was, Georgia's was, and you other, other, other couple other other teams. Their blue chip ratio was the same as Oklahoma. So what does that suggest about what, what Brent Venables was doing on his defense to keep them number one however many years in a row despite not recruiting those four and five star guys until later on in his career at Clemson well to me it just seems like from from this outside uh perspective I've got it seems like they really took on the personality of their their coach of their their defensive coordinator uh and Brent Venables and he just it just seems like for whatever reason for he's he's figured out how to kind of instill his energy and his his kind of mentality is just hundred miles an hour in his players. And then, and then when they are, they'll, if they're, they're at a Clemson, they're at an Oklahoma and they were, you know, they know that they were a three-star guy. They kind of, they just get that, that uh, chip on their shoulder. And then to, to combine that with a coach that's going to get that kind of level of, of play and consistency out of them, or at least strive to do everything they can to get that. Um, I think that's what we've seen. And then, yeah, it, it helps at Clemson when, they have those three-star guys that are kind of playing above their original billing that they're playing next to guys who were five stars uh, and, and are playing out like five stars. So then it, it just kind of was like a, a very mutually beneficial kind of uh, experience over there. And I think that's what he's trying to recreate here as well. Steven, what do you think? Yeah, I think what, what Brent Venables is doing, at least in the short term is finding guys that, uh, 
that fit not only just what he wants to do on the field, but he's going to fit into the culture of the program and kind of build that, that culture early on for him. So I got like Caleb Spencer, not the highest rated guy, but they've all obviously seen something on his tape and seen something in person that they just really like, and they have to have. So um, I don't think this is the end of just recruiting like four and five star athletes. I think that's going to come eventually, but in the short term, and especially right now with NIL and how recruiting's going and everything's taking a little bit longer. Um, a guy like Caleb Spencer is, you know, a piece that they have to have. They have to have someone that can build this class around um, a guy that can, that can be on campus, especially like during the barbecue, a guy that can relate to other players um, recruit for him. So I don't think Caleb Spencer is going to be on the same level uh, as Caleb was, but he's a guy that can show up, let's say, in June at the barbecue and say, Hey, this is what I've really liked about this program. These are the coaches. Let me introduce you here and here and here. So um, I really like the pickup. I don't think it's the end of the, the four and five star athletes at Oklahoma by any means, but you'll take a guy that's going to build your culture up immediately. Like any day of the week. In, speaking of building a culture, Oklahoma is consistently building a culture of more tight ends. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, my God, uh, Oklahoma's after, after tight end Reed McKeska, who is was once a very, very, very heavily leaning Clemson at a tight end who played a lot of wide receiver and H back in high school, but he'd be he'll be used at tight end. Um, man, it's it's gonna be weird to see Oklahoma in dual tight end sets uh, this in the in the coming years under the Jeff Levy offense. Like they'll either be like really compact in or really sp- spread out to the boundaries. It's so odd to think about that type of Oklahoma offense when we haven't seen that kind of offense in a very, very long time. We're really at OU in general. I mean, like that's not what they've been doing for like the longest time you go from what Riley Heupel, Heupel didn't really use tight ends. Um, Yeah. You had Kevin Wilson, you had Chuck Long, uh, all those dudes. You never kind of saw those sets that you're about to see. Uh, out of out of Jeff Levy's offense, and so Stephen, you follow recruiting a lot closer than I am. What would Oklahoma be getting out of McKeska? Yeah, he's an interesting prospect. Uh, prospect, not just because he was the mystery visitor for what was it a week when that story went on, and and everyone's kind of thinking maybe it's be a five star, and it turns out to be this three star tight end that's committed to Clemson. Which, um, on the flip side, you think, you know, Brent Venables is just kind of snaking uh, Dabo immediately after having that little truce in 2022. But, uh, you know, Reed looks like a guy that he's probably going to be that inline tight end, um, at least early on. I don't think they're going to flex him out as that, that tight end uh, H. But I think they'll uh, they'll run him in line. I think maybe his future is more as a, uh, a tackle as he grows into his body. So. I don't know if this is going to be a full-on tight end commitment or if they're taking as a tight end, um, but just kind of assuming he's going to grow into a tackle eventually. Mm, that's possible. Let's 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 go ahead and switch up sports a little bit. Something that is a little bit more prevalent right now. Uh, let's go. To, let's go to softball. Uh, starting off with something news that we already knew was going to happen, but officially came down the pipes today, actually conveniently within hours. Um, Donahue from Mustang, Oklahoma is done at OU. Uh, she posted on her Instagram 
said that she, eventually one day she's going to get the story straight. Uh, so there seems like some pretty interesting comments that she would want to reveal later on after being replaced by, um, you know, the number one. It's the, the, it's the number one seed in the, whatever. Donna, who's done at OU. Seth, what's your instant reaction? Because like she, already, already like get everything there. You have like the whole Jordan kind of like, you know, silhouettes that she made in the College World Series. Um, Donahue at OU, no longer. Um, how it, does that affect that's not really affecting it right now, but in the future, how big of that is a blow? Um, it it could be, you know, it would have been really nice to have Donahue in 2023 and, and beyond. I think she has two years left, I believe, mm-hmm. after this season. So maybe three. I don't know if this season is going to count for her. But anyways, uh, she, yeah, it would have been nice to have her for depth purposes. And also because, um, so at her position out there in left field now is Alyssa Brito, who's completely locked it down and has looked like a stud. But with, you know, there's going to be some turnover in the infield. You know, Janet Johns is going to move from third third base, and there's talks of Brito moving to third, which would have that left field spot open again next year if that happens and Donahue could have competed for it or just taken it. Um, so it it kind of hurts in that way. Oh, you will probably shore something like that up through the portal anyways. But, um, I mean, as far as what, what she showed on the field uh, this season in her brief kind of time before she walked uh, was away from the team and now no longer on the team, um, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just in her head or something after that huge World Series that she had. Um, like you said, she was she was like, you know, her, her silhouette was everywhere. That catch was being mm-hmm. replayed all over the place. And she had a couple catches like that. And it's just she wasn't the same. She wasn't the same player, um, at least not on the field um, as she was last June. So it's it's kind of a bummer. And I'm I'm interested. I I, I hope she uh, sets the record straight, just so I can hear more of the story. But I don't think it's anything where, well, you know, I think people already have their kind of opinions and uh, their their kind of takes on it. And for whatever whatever it is, honestly, I do hope the best for her, like for sure, mm-hmm. uh, wherever she ends up. And I think wherever she ends up, she'll she'll uh, make that team a better a better team. Yeah, it, it's just unfortunate because, like, like you said, I mean, gosh, she had so many pivotal moments in the College World Series, not just not just like catching, you know, like balls out in left field and making really awesome grabs near the wall, uh, clutch home runs. I mean, like she did it all, and maybe and maybe that's part of the reason why um, there were whispers early in the beginning of the season after Brito decided to transfer to OU that there was a lot of unhappiness going on there because maybe she felt like she had locked it down um, or I don't know. She has her story to tell. There's several different perspectives on the, on these things. So I think it's really interesting. And it just, of course it came down the pipes today. Hey, you know, I'm leaving. I'll tell the story one day right now is not appropriate. It's pretty much what I got from that, but kind of shifting over Steven, we talked about this pre pod uh, a little bit, not going to go into much detail about it, but OU softball could possibly have a injury. Uh, it's a significant injury, maybe, uh, with Jordy Ball. I mean, we don't know the severity of it. That's why I don't want to go into the specifics of it. Oklahoma doesn't have Jordy Ball. Um, how far can they go into the uh, Women's College World Series, do you think? 
you still well, think they think... have a shot at the title? Yeah, they have a shot at the title. As long as Patty Gas is your coach. I mean, I don't know a lot about softball. I don't watch a ton of softball, but um, Patty Gas is the kind of coach where she's going to figure it out. She has enough personnel there where she can tweak and scheme and, and plan for games and, and push this team farther than they think. So, um, you know, maybe they'll lose Jordy Ball for the season. Who knows? That's, that's yet to be determined. Um, but, you know, if they do, you have to believe that Patty Ball or not Patty Ball, Patty Gasso, uh, we can is start calling it Patty Ball. Patty, no, we, we Patty can start calling it Patty Ball. Yeah, I, I enjoy that. Better watch some Patty Ball. We'll start the hashtag. Well, we will. But it, uh, there's no reason to doubt Patty Gasso or Patty Ball. That's true. Never doubt Patty Ball. Uh, Seth, so I know Trout Wine has been nails for the mo- the majority of the season, but recently, specifically against, you know, higher-ranked teams like Texas, like Oklahoma State, a couple times as we saw, her rise ball, what what kind of like is her pitch, it's her go-to pitch, has kind of really gotten out of hand. Um, and your two pitchers are really going to be on deck, uh, are going to be Trout Wine and Nicole May, that you saw Nicole May come in in, in freshman spots and really play some clutch some clutch softball. I mean, that's that's that was just what it was. Do can't how far can they go? I know they're the number one seed, so they're going to get the easiest way into the College World, World Series. But how far can they go with Troutwine and and Nicole May? Do you think they could end up in the, in the national title and competing for that, or do you think with the lack of Jordy Ball and what she brings to the table as of now? I'm not saying she's out, but if she is out you think they could still win that? Yeah, I think in a word, yes, I think they can still make it definitely to the national championship series and, and win it all, honestly. But if Jordy ball isn't able to return at all the rest of this postseason, um, it's going to be a lot harder. Just, there's no, there's no way around it. And like you said, hope uh, trout wine, she's, She's been great all year, but yeah, these last couple uh, appearances we've seen her, especially you know Oklahoma State, she she uh, started two of those games, and uh, uh, going back to the series and did the Big Twelve uh, tournament, and it it wasn't always the the best um, uh, we've seen her, and so to combine that with Nicole, who has had her ups and downs as well, um, uh, both last year and this year. Uh, it's it'll, it'll be interesting, and I think this team is going to have to rely even more so on its offense, which mm-hmm. they've been the, the best team offensively all year. They were the best team, like, in really historically last year, um, but they're going to have to really pick that up because these last few weeks um, they've been playing a little bit under their averages as far as batting and then just runs, period, and all that. So the offense is just going to have to pick it up um, because there are some teams out there probably they probably won't face some – until OKC, but there are some teams out there that could uh, kind of uh, go hit for hit with OU. And so if they, if their pitching isn't on the, on top of its game, then you're kind of asking for, for trouble if you're an OU fan. And going, I, I was, I was talking to a friend earlier about this. Where would you rank trout wine among former OU pitchers. Like, for example, you've got Kehlani Ricketts, you've got both pages, you've got G. Juarez. Like, where where, where does she fit in this group? Is she, is she, is she, she's, not, I, she's not in front of the pages, in yeah. my opinion. Is she 
just behind G uh, uh, G Juarez, or what do you what do you think about that? Because I she's not in the middle of the bunch, and I don't think she's the top. Yeah, no, definitely not at the top. Like you said, the two pages and Ricketts um, are definitely up there in that top, probably three, honestly, as far as the last decade or so of o, OU pitchers. Um, I would say when Hope is at the top of her game, she's right there with a really good G Juarez. But I think G might have been a little bit more consistent. Um, but that being said, uh, Hope, her, she, she's got a little bit more heat. Um, as far as like what 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 she, what she throws, uh, she she's really a strikeout kind of artist. She she doesn't get a lot of ground outs necessarily, um, which Nicole May does, and uh, that's just kind of her. She just kind of pitches to contact. But yeah, I, I'd say she's right there around that kind of G range. I'd probably if G was on this team and Jordy was out, uh, and it was the between G Hope and uh, Nicole, G is probably your ace still. Uh, just ahead of hope, but I think she's kind of like she's really kind of beckoning on that that kind of level. And so, Stephen and Seth, I need you to explain this to me. Why do I find softball in, in, in just softball in particular? Like, I'll find myself watching like sometimes not even OU softball games. I'll sometimes I'll watch other softball games like like UCLA games. You know, high, higher ranked teams that are obviously good teams. But why do I find it so easy to watch a softball game more so than I ever would a baseball game? Like, why is that a thing for me? Is is that normal? Is That's that it. abnormal? What is going the easy on? Easy answer: Baseball just sucks. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's definitely the quick and dirty answer. <laughs> um, I'll say so. I, I was thinking about it because I I agree with you, and I know a lot of people agree with that sentiment. Um, and I, I went through and I really tried to try to break down why exactly. And I came up with a few things. So one really easy one that a lot of people point to the, the game of softball is just faster pace mm-hmm. and just overall, it just take the games are shorter. They're roughly two hours max, you know, and then if there's a run rule, it could be an hour and a half versus baseball, which you're pretty much locked in for three plus hours. Um, it's, it's just, that's just, it There's really no way it's going to be shorter than that, um, in today's game. So that's one. Um, also there's just a lot fewer stoppages in softball, just, you know, the, the pitcher's not, you know, you'll never see a softball pitcher try to pick off the person, the base runner at mm. first. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and, and that happens how many times in baseball? Like, it's a, it's it a no nonsense sport. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's none of that. Um, there's, a, there's not as many pitching changes as well. Like you can see like six pitchers in a baseball game on one team, on one team alone um, throughout the course of it. And then also there's just typically it's a higher scoring game as well. There's a lot more easy, there's easier ways to manufacture runs in softball versus uh baseball. You know, there's, there's slap hitters in softball. There's uh, and then just with the way the pitching goes, um, the pitching differences are between softball and baseball there's like a higher chance that there's going to be a wild pitch in softball, which it's bad for the team that does it. But if there's a base runner, uh, they're, they're moving up. So they're, they're getting into uh, scoring position a lot more often than in baseball, because there are, I think a higher percentage of wild pitches. So all of that kind of just adds up to there's more scoring, higher pace. It's just like, there's like kind of action happening on like 
almost every pitch, there's like something happening on the field. So yeah, like I, I I noticed like for I I felt I always felt like like you said it was more it's more higher scoring, which means the ball is getting hit more often, um, and maybe the game was just you know just faster, easy like faster pace. You don't have to have like several pitching changes actually. A lot of times you see the same pitcher pitch the entire game if it's not a relatively high pitch count. Um, and so that I thought that was interesting. Also, I just got a message. Um, the injury to Jordy Ball is on her th- is on her throwing arm. So that is um, that that's that's significant. So just want to yeah. mention that. Um, but yeah, no, I I, I agree. And I always thought soft. It's also it's also always fun to watch softball because oh, you softball is really good. It's always. It's I would also add that the pros are longer in softball than baseball, so that just makes it more fun to watch. It's true. Like, would you it's- rather watch Baker? Or would you rather watch like Landry Jones? Landry <laughs> Jones is baseball. Baker's softball. It's true. It's true. You know, D- Danny Cannell. He doesn't like it when you know. You celebrate after you score, you know, after you hit a double. I'm not a fan. It's not classy to celebrate. When I tune into baseball, I just tune in for the fights. Yeah. Oh, same, oh. same, same for hockey. You know, I'm just there. I've learned to like hockey. I'm actually really, really enjoying hockey right now. All those dudes don't have, have the real coming team. around to it. Ever since I went to Phoenix, saw the worst team in the NHL. Interesting. Well, I've got a game of true or false for you guys before we get out of here. Are you guys ready? Yeah. All right, Southern, coming to you first. OU play OU football plays for the conference championship game this year. True. Steven? I am also going true for that one. I'm going to say true. Let's say OU wins the conference championship. Steven? Uh, I'll also go true on that. I think they win it. Seth? I'll say false just for uh, the old first psychology. <laughs> Even though yeah. that now that I said that it won't it, it will be false. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go false too. I and I know like all the odds makers already already have OU as the favorite. I mean, even like Texas people that I really trust are like OU's the favorite until they don't win it. You just have to expect it every year because it's Oklahoma. And which is something that I kind of respect. Uh, all right, true or false, Steven, I'm going to start with you. OU has at least five guys named to all Big 12 teams in football after the season is over, and this counts second-teamers as well, over five. I'm going to go – I'll go true on that because I think Turk's going to get in mm-hmm. so that you don't really account for that one. I think they'll have a couple second-teamers. Uh, I think Dylan Gabriel has a shot. Um, Eric Gray has a shot and then Danny Stutzman. So I'm probably over five. So I'll go true. What about you, Seth? I'll say true as well. And I'll actually add, I think the I've got five guys who I, I'm going to go ahead and say they will be first teamers. So All right. now Gabriel, uh, Mims, Turk, Hunter, um, Billy Bowman, Mm. That's probably my most out on the limb. <laughs> yeah. Wow, he went on a limb. Yeah, and uh, Will, Woody Washington. That's exciting. Oh, that that's interesting. Oklahoma having legitimate defensive backs. That's 
that's it's been a long time coming, you know, and it, it's it they could be really special this year. Like they're in they're really high end. Can I Walker? I thought his name was Connie Walker until I heard them say his name. I was not. I was very surprised. Like, were, were you guys expecting it to be his name to be pronounced? Can I? I was thinking it was Connie, but I'm also from Oklahoma. That's fair. So. That's fair. I thought it was Connie. So like when they said, can I, I, I was going through the roster and they had the pronunciations. I was like, this is wrong. Like you guys don't know how to, you guys don't know how to do this, but no. Yeah. All right. So, all right. True or false. And we kind of mentioned this earlier. We kind of actually talked about this, uh, but let's go full season. Let's go full season outlook. Uh, Seth OU struggles on defense this year. Struggles on defense. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, with the full picture in view. Right. And I don't want to cop out and be like, uh, it'll be kind of a, just a, a neutral. So I'll say, I'll say true. As, as much as it kind of pains me, I mm-hmm. think just in terms of that, like that standard that people want it to be at, that, you know, we all want the, to see the defense at, I think they're going to struggle. Just the learning curve. Steven, how about you? I'll also go with true just because I don't think you're going to see a defense that's going to be a full product um, that it will be in, you know, two or three seasons from now. I'm also going to go true. I think, I think this year you'll see a noticeable difference in obviously what they're doing and you'll see more, probably more explosive plays that are being attacked uh, from the opposition just because Oklahoma is going to be blitzing quite a bit, I think, uh, like we mentioned earlier. And so I think, uh, of course, that was that was Brent's. That was like his whole death knell, right, uh, at Oklahoma. Oh, he gives up too many big plays because he blitzes so much. And then he goes to Clemson <laughs> and then, you know, you know, has several first-rounders and wins several national titles. So that must be nice. Um, so I'm also going to go true, just with the idea in mind that, they're still learning and the growth curve is rather steep. Uh, the, that learning curve of that growth anyways. All right. How about this one, Steven? OU narrowly escapes and beats Nebraska and Lincoln this year. Is that true or false? That's been a conversation going on for like two weeks now. Mm-hmm. Did, did someone put something out there about that? Like a prediction or is it FanDuel had like a favorite on him? I, I don't know. I think, I don't remember. I know we talked about it with uh, Chisholm. Right. I don't know. Um, I'm going to say false, though. I don't. And this is not because I think Oklahoma's more talented. They are more talented, but I think Brent Venables is just a better coach than Scott Frost. <laughs> like Scott Frost just can't get it together. That's fair. Seth, what do you think? I'm not betting on Scott Scott Frost <laughs> for anything. Yeah, I'll say false as well. I think it's. I think OU wins by two touch, uh, two scores. Two scores. Two scores is fair. And I don't think this is the type of Oklahoma team that Nebraska is going to be able to actually keep the rock away from. I think this team is going to be far more physical. I mean, like you saw Nebraska come in there into Norman and just beat the hell out of OU uh, in their defense. And they, they couldn't do anything. They Nebraska kept on getting into third and shorts. And kept that offense on the on on the side, and their defensive line was more than enough to keep OU at bay and almost win the darn freaking game. So let me go. I'll 
I'll go false on this one, and I'll say I'll go with Seth. I'll say about ten points. Two scores seems about right here, especially up in Lincoln. Um, all right, let's say OU jumps the SEC. True or false? Seth, I'm coming to you. OU football is in the conference championship game in the SEC within their first five to six years of being in that conference. True. And l- let's assume they're doing the pods because right, right. I think the divisions are out the conversation now. <laughs> yeah, I'll say I'll say true. Um, now, if you said three to four years, I'd probably go false. But five to six, I'll say true. Mm. Why? Why? Why the difference? Um, I'm just banking on Father Time finally taking down Nick Saban. That's really that's what it comes down to. Also, though, if they do the pods, it's going to probably make that a little easier to or feasible to get to like a championship kind of game. But, but yeah, I think I, I think Nick Saban and just and really there's a, a couple teams in there. But I just think that kind of once that bear is finally out of the way, um, there might be some other dominoes that fall, and maybe Venables is the is the guy to to kind of at least if not take over, you know, gain some, some ground. Steven, what about you? I will go, I would say true. I think um, they'll get there one or one of the five years. I think they're gonna have enough talent. They'll get some boost um, recruiting wise from just not only NIL, but also the upcoming uh, facilities upgrades. Um, you know, if they keep their core, uh, coaching coaching core intact i think they'll they'll do pretty well so i'm not worried i think they'll make the championship game i'm not going to say as far as they're going to win it but uh, i think they'll make it there yeah that, that's that's the kind of the key phrasing there right is that they're in the conference championship game not necessarily winning that conference championship game and i've been thinking about that thing i've been thinking about that for like the last like three four years seth like is when is nick saban going to finally leave <laughs> alabama because like he went to LSU, and I, I always remember in the back of my brain that 2003 season that the LSU kept on rising through the ranks, and they're like, yeah, like, it's really, this LSU team is really, really fun under this, this under, under Nick Saban, like, they're, they're doing well again, and then, like, OU meets Nick Saban, that national title game, obviously loses, he goes to the Dolphins. The players are like, he's too cold and cruel as a coach. So he goes back to college football and takes over an awful Alabama team and then turns them into what this monster powerhouse that they are today. Um, I struggled with this question for a while, just just kind of acknowledging that, yes, the SEC, um, if they're going to be doing pods, it's probably going to be actually a lot more beneficial for them to do pods because one year you might get your own pod and it depends on what the pods are because i want to know if it's going to be ou texas uh arkansas and mizzou or ou texas arkansas and a m it's gotta it has to be a con it's, it's gotta be one of those two it feels like or something along those lines and there are going to be some years where you're going to get a pod that's complete shit with vanderbilt in it like it's this it's just gonna happen and so, like, I went back and forth on this for a while, and I accepted. I was like, okay, I think OU, by, by year five or six, can certainly be in that conference championship game. But within those first maybe three or four years, being that conversation, 
Um, just they're just not operating at the level A and M is as far as recruiting or paying, whatever you want to say, uh, right now. But you know they'll get there. And so going on this next one because we have a couple more left. Uh, we we just talked about this, uh, Stephen. True or false? OU softball wins a national title this year. Um, man, it's gonna be, look bad if I say false now. After saying all the stuff about Patty, so I'll go true. I'll go true there, for continuity's sake. Seth, uh, I'll say I'll say true as well. But if if Jordy doesn't come back, I think they're gonna have to the go. They're gonna have to go through the uh, losers bracket again, like they did last year. Yeah, I, I think I think it's false because of that. I think they'll I think they'll catch a game where they're just their bats aren't hot and that they're not gonna pitch to Jocelyn Allo and. <laughs> I think that uh, they're going to end up not winning. I think they may make it to the national title, but I don't know if they actually win that because you, your your offense can only travel so far. Whereas, I mean, Oklahoma, don't get me wrong, has been nails on defense as well, but man, pitching is so integral to winning a College World Series. Um, all right, this next one, I'm coming to you, Seth, first. Patty Gasso stays at OU for no more and no longer than three or four years into the future. So her tenure at OU will be up in four years, true or false? Uh, false. I think I think she's got a solid 10 years left. I think wow. That, I think, yeah. And yeah. I, it's, I mean, because this is what I think her 27th or 28th season. Mm-hmm. And there's, a, there's been a lot of coaches out there. I think Michigan's coach right now is in her like 35th or something. And there's a lot of coaches that have been well into the 30s. So I, I think as long as she's got this program humming like it, it is right now, which it's going to stay this way for at least the foreseeable future, I think she's going to want to stay, stick around for at least at least until 2032. <laughs> That's interesting. And Steven, you agree? I do agree. I think NIL will play a little bit, um, but I don't really see NIL kind of putting a put her hitting the gas pedal for Patty. I think uh, once they get the new stadium in, um, they're going to cut a couple more practice facility upgrade. I think it's going to keep her going. I think she's having fun playing or, or coaching right now. So um, I don't see her really quitting after three or four years. It's fun to coach a team that only loses twice during the regular season. And that just beats fun the out of everybody else. Yeah. It's but less move, stressful. God, it's talking about talking about a move. The, the, the move for OU to the SEC is going to be really awesome softball matchups for oh. Patty Gasso and them. And that, that might be another reason why she would stick around too, is that there's new competition and hell shit. There's better teams in the SEC instead of like your two teams in the big 12 that are Texas and Oklahoma state that are really just one of them really just going to challenge you. Texas, they got that one and they acted like they won the world series. So there's that. Um, all right. Last question, Seth, true or false? Brent Venables is that coach that's going to bring you that eighth national title? True, true. Brent's my guy. Uh, I don't know when it's going to happen. I really hope if it's, I really hope if it doesn't happen in the next five years, I really hope fans don't get too restless. Um, because I do think he's going to have this program, you know, in a place where it, it can solidly contend. And if, if given enough time, I think he'll do it. Steven, what do you think? Y'all go true as well. I was a little bit skeptical um, at first with the hire, but just seeing how he's built this program up in, in such a short period of time, 
um, bringing in Thad, Thad Turnip Seed, bringing in the coaches he did. Um, obviously, he's he's got a few championships under his belt as defensive coordinator. So he, I think they know the blueprint. Him and Thad know the blueprint to winning. Obviously, being in Alabama for Thad and then Clemson um, for both of them, um, they're going to bring one to Oklahoma eventually. I went back and forth on this quite a bit. I mean, like, I really, really, really like Brent as a coach. He's he's not Brent is not that player's coach that people think of. Like, he's not like buddy buddy with the coach with the put the, with the players. He certainly is a, like he's like certainly a mentor figure. He is a guy that is very relational, a guy that really wants to know who you are as a person and and, and even more so as a player as well and, and how to make you better as a player. That's like his entire thing. Um, I I don't know how good of a coach, head coach he's going to be. Um, of course, this year will tell us a lot of things, and I think next year will tell us a lot more than this year because this year is kind of your transition year. And so, like, your first year really looking at Brent Venables is going to be in the SEC most likely, which is like maybe not the best of lenses to look through to judge a head coach's performance. But I do think he ends up winning a national title. It just sometimes makes me a little sad to see like Brent Venables now and like people when they bring back images of Brent Venables before he left because he just looks so much more weathered because his face is like more like, you know, he's, he's gotten older. Like, Hey, that face is no longer soft anymore, homie. That's just straight jawline and and just being in the in the sun all day. That's all that is. Uh, but I think I think he has the staff around him. I think he knows. I, obviously, he knows what he needs to do to have a national title winning team. He's been on a few of them, um, and he's been on teams that have made it to the national title even more so. And so he knows what those types of teams look like. And I think he's operating with those personnel that he needs. He's taking guys. He took guys from Clemson that he wanted those personnel too, including that turnip seed that is getting stuff done uh, at OU in particular. Um, I think he wins one. I don't know when, um, but you know, it's gotta be relatively within the next 10 years, I think. Um, And like to Seth's point, Man, if he doesn't, if he does not do something soon, like something like substantial soon, I really hope fans are not up in arms if they end up winning 10 or 11 games and are just like, you know what? We're tired of winning 10 or 11 games and ditch them for Gary Gibbs and then ditch them for whoever else down the pipe because they're more proven in their past 10 years as coaches. But I digress. I don't think Brent Venables is that type of guy or that type of coach. But anyways, Seth, thanks for just like hopping on the, I just like asked you at like 1030 at night and was like, Hey, do you want to be on the podcast on Tuesday? And he's like, yeah, like totally, definitely. Thanks for joining the pod. Tell everybody where they can find you or they can follow you. Anything else? Yeah. So yeah, definitely appreciate you. You have uh, asking me to do this because I'm always down to talk OU sports just in general. But yeah, you can find me on Twitter. That's really where I hang out as far as social media goes, at uh, Seth Oliveris. Um, and for the next, starting today, now that I'm officially on summer break, uh, it's going to be straight softball talking. Uh, and, and it's just going to be a good time. You know, win or lose, it's, it's, we're going to talk softball and we're going to have fun with it. 
Yeah, and oh, man, I'm I'm excited. I'm 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 excited despite the news that I've been getting, but I'm 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 trusting in Patty. I mean, like if Patty Gasso can win a national title playing the short game, Patty Gasso can win a national title playing any type of game. That's kind of where I'm going off of. Uh, Steven, you have anything else to pod? Uh, join Discord. Discord's a lot of fun. Uh, we talked about this week's mystery visitor, uh, which ended up being Reed Mikesa, Mikeska, whatever, however you say that name. So I think I said uh, it Rudder I, think, I, think I, I butchered it earlier. You get you got me self conscious about saying it now. Yeah, I know. So uh, we talk about mystery visitors all the time. It's a great place to be. It's also free. It is free. Yeah, free. I like free things. You know, free things are nice, but. Hey, guys, go ahead and go follow us on CrimsonCreamMachine.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at CC Machine. Uh, like Seth said, you can follow Matt Seth Oliveras. You can follow me at Camerabi and CCM. You can follow Steven at OEFDSB. Um, I'll drop the Discord link in the bio just below. If you guys wouldn't mind dropping us a five-star rating, we'd really appreciate it. It makes it mis- us more visible to you guys and everybody else. And we'll check you guys later.